Woo! This is GSXR 600 yeah. FM, The Squid. I'm your host, Boji Pete. Yeah. With me is Swiggy. Yeah. Yeah. We got a hot track yeah. from Seven Deuce Deuce coming at you. This one's My Bike's Too Lit. <laughs> I spent so much money on my bike, it's out of sight. Black rims, gold hubs, and the carbon pipes. Got my bike looking loud, nah, it ain't polite. When I pull up to the track, I got the best bike. Looking hard as fuck, I call the shit a Western Pike. When I Instagram it, yeah, I'm getting hella likes. Spend more money on my bike than you gon' make until you die. die you probably die. gonna tell your friends your bike is tight as mine. mine. Ain't nobody's bike is tight as mine. No, no, no. Ain't nobody's bike is tight as mine. Uh, let's bring the volume down a little on that. So this is how we're going to talk about motocross music here on episode 181 or 82, 82 of the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. In between all our segments, we're just going to thread in one of these ridiculous homemade motocross songs. Uh, full disclosure, we did this episode five days ago and I lost the SD card in the snow again. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, so anyway, what did we say about this song last time? Um, well, I guess we were mostly talking about, um, kind of how this is a, this is a more modern take of, of motocross music. This is the apex. This yeah. is the pinnacle. This one. Yeah. And this is one of the things that really comes in strong here is the, uh, well, first of all, it's all about the music video. Um, oh, yeah. It's a great video. It, it, was, it was definitely made for YouTube, and it excels at it. But it's all about uh, the medium and transitioning into the modern age of internet video. Yeah, well, Motocross was just waiting for YouTube to show up for so long. Yes. In a way that cruisers and sport bikes, adventure like other motorcycles haven't. You, moto, YouTube was made for motocross and its music, therefore. Well, yeah, and, and things like TikTok and Instagram play a huge role in it. I think YouTube a little bit more. It's, it's a little easier to put your exploits up because motocross is still about doing, not mm. just looking a certain way. Yeah. So I, I feel like YouTube's a little bit more than the TikTok and all that stuff, but you're right. Yeah. The, so, yeah, that social internet media in general but yeah there there, there's uh in motocross music which if you didn't know is totally a thing it is mostly homemade it is um well we were saying last week that uh it's like a thing where somewhere in like the late 90s there was this split and uh there had been biker music and other things and and I think somewhere like like around ninety nine two thousand, we you know we had uh, what's his face's you know Rough Rider theme and everything, and that was the last time there was really mainstream new mainstream motorcycle music being made, and everything else kind of split in one of two different directions. Things went a homemade DIY route, and then things went a sort of very co opting, look at me. Um, route with the with the sound motorcycle sound systems, which will be the next episode that we cover. But this is that route where people took advantage of doing things at home and liberal and, use of GarageBand and royalty free sample libraries. 
Yeah, well, and it, it makes perfect sense if you think about it, because like, uh, motocross is so DIY in and of itself, right? Yeah, you you have to work on your bike, and a lot of the times your first bike is going to be some piece of crap that wasn't running the day you got it, and you've got to get it to running condition. But also, just the very act of riding dirt bikes just thrashes the bikes. Even if you're not doing anything all that crazy, even if you're not crashing them or whatever, I just, you know, like you you can't really go a decade on fork seals if you're riding with any level of aggression like you can with a street bike. Right. I mean, you shouldn't go that long with fork seals, but guess what? People just people don't replace fork seals. They wait until they just completely go. And then they have them done, maybe, right? So there's that. But also, uh, there's the whole, like, DIY nature of, well, I can't I can't afford to ride if I have someone else fix my bike, you know. And, and also, because you know, people bring their tools to the track and, you know, people will break their bike and that dude that knows the the quick fix to keep you riding for the rest of the day, that guy's a hero at the track. So everyone's rewarded socially for knowing how to do it. I, th- I think there's also something that's totally lost <clears throat> on the broader culture, but has stuck very firmly in dirt bike culture is because you have to work on your own bike to do it at any kind of reasonable cost. People don't immediately go into something that they don't know how to do and think, oh, I need an expert to do this. I need to offload this onto somebody else. They actually have that approach of, oh, well, let me just give this a shot. Or let's learn how to do this. Which nowadays, yeah, just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, nowadays we're getting into the culture of driving to McDonald's is too much. Let me get a third-party delivery service to bring McDonald's to me because I just can't right now. Yeah, I, I would say as the way we've been defining motorcycle music thus far, the old-school biker music was more about an emotion or a feeling, right? Uh, just sort of in general, a very generalized feeling. Uh, the scooter music was more of an expression of rebellion or counterculture. And m- motorcycle music reflects a DIY culture. So there's a reason that it was a little bit punk rock, kind of a lot punk rock in the early days, and then has now almost completely transitioned to being hip hop. And is staying hip hop as I don't know if anyone else has noticed, hip hop's not that popular anymore in general. Uh, it's not, and um, at least not the kind of hip hop that these that these these uh, these these motocross kids are making. But there's a very specific reason it's that way. It is one of the more approachable things to do if like you've just got a laptop and 
some software to start making music. You don't need to learn every instrument or you don't need to have four friends necessarily. Or any instrument, really. It's something you can do in the garage and you could do it by yourself. And then you can show up to the track and, and, or, you know, go over, you know, put it up on YouTube and have your friends check it out and everything. And you could make this music that you, that, that these kids then, you know, have videos, you know, GoPro footage of them riding around and then their own DIY music on top of it. It's just this whole layer of it, right? Or music made by other sort of underground little, you know, non-existent, you know, YouTube creators and this and that. So we recommend highly that you go down this motocross music rabbit hole because it's there's a lot of different aspects to it. The The one word I have for all of it is priceless it is usually low budget it is unbelievably positive and it's you it's plucky it's it's all a real can-do attitude like you do i have any talent not really but i've got a can-do attitude and i'm going to put this track together (laughs) and i i can't help but smile when i listen to all of it so all right We've we've had a few minutes of that. We'll um we'll take a break from that and we'll get into best worst bike here. And then after that we'll talk about another motocross song. Then we'll do some emails maybe. Or should we do emails before Best Worst Bike? Uh let's just go into Best Worst Bike. All right. So here we go. Just like we did earlier this week, we have each chosen a motorcycle. We've just got to remember what it was from five days ago. And one of them is the best bike in the world this week. One of them is the worst bike in the world this week. You know what? I'm going to skip all that messy stuff in the middle. Remind you, hey, there's no crying in motorcycles, okay? Send an email to contact at nokamotopodcast.com if you really have strong feelings about it. Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. And are you ready to reveal it to the people? And the best bike in the world this week is... Track T eight hundred CDI. Ooh, I like that pic. I didn't see that picture of it earlier this week. That one that you've got there. That's it. You know. Okay, so this is the diesel bike that we talked about in episode ten. Yes, and um, you know, I I feel like maybe it's had a little bit of an update on that front fairing. Actually, now that I look at it from this angle. Seems a little different. I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. Most people have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. So, so we give everyone a breakdown of what this bike is. So this is a diesel bike. I think it's a one-off from the from the creator. Um, I can't remember. Is it a Dutch no, This is bike? a production bike. It is a production. Or no, the bike isn't a one-off. It's a one-off model. I believe. Oh, it's not like a line of bikes. There's no rain. This engine isn't in anything else is what you're saying. No. So this is, yeah. So it's not from a major manufacturer. It's, it's not really boutique, but I mean, I I get it is kind of boutique. Um, it's specialized more than it's boutique. It is very specialized. So I don't think there's any other bike set up like this. So what we've got here is 
sort of a 50-50 tire situation. We've got um, kind of an overgrown like dirt bike body to it. Yeah, I think I think that's like a 21-inch front wheel, 18 rear. And what makes this bike interesting is that it is an inline three-cylinder diesel motor. Is it turbo diesel or just diesel? Turbo diesel. Okay. I mean, why would you go diesel and not turbo it? Well, right. But I don't know. <laughs> I, ask the KLR people, the, the, the military KLR. That's true. Uh, well, those are just prototypes. I'm sure they would have. Actually, as a single, I don't know. I thought they actually had ones that they produced for like a run of them. Because you could buy surplus ones until a few years ago. Yeah, I think you could. I, I think there were only like a thousand or something. I don't think they were available to the public. I think you had to buy surplus or retired ones like as a civilian. Right. But I do not think those were those were turbo. Should have been. Yeah, I I think I it, don't know. Oh, here anyway, anyway, so there are some other very interesting things about this bike. Uh, it is a shaft drive. It is a CVT transmission. It's not got any of the fancy farkles on it. It's a very basic display. So, which. To me, means timeless and not a, uh, what's the word? Shit. Um, yeah, it it doesn't suffer from this almost planned obsolescence. That's of the word TFT I was looking for. Pl- yeah. Yeah. No, no, no planned obsolescence. Um, and it does have a two wheel drive system. And this uses the uh, a hydraulic motor in the front wheel to do it. Yeah, fluid front drive. Which, I don't know how effective that really is in terms of the power delivery and and um, the efficiency of it. But it is just a cool system. I have a theory that it's all about efficiency. Oh, really? Well, so yes, you're robbing power from the back. And and in terms of just applying horsepower to the ground, taking some power from the rear wheel and splitting it off and sending it to the front wheel, I think makes a bit of sense if you're just going for fuel efficiency. In that it's exactly the same principle that two two half size electric motors will take you further than just one big electric motor. Um I don't know if that's entirely true. I think there's a lot more drag in the system. But what I imagine it does do is it just well, gets if you're off road it's weird terrain. I think you're going to do better fuel efficiency wise with a little extra power on the on the front rather than just all rear. Uh, we'll, you'll definitely get more power to the ground. Well, but but also, like, why is this bike diesel? This bike, as we talked about in episode ten, people like can like, run organs with these things and all that stuff. It's like, okay, we can't put this on an airplane or a helicopter or whatever. We've got to go through a bunch of dense European areas. Uh, someone's going to get on this bike. They're allowed to lane split. They can get on this bike and not stop and go like. 400 miles 
and get blood or organs or whatever to another place. But I think also, uh, so I think it's diesel and I think it's uh, two wheel drive to one, be able to go anywhere, right? Like what, I think this is designed with some sort of military purpose as well. Like you just got to send a person over land somewhere. This is the thing. And it can just go ridiculous distances, not super fast. Cause isn't it only something like 60 horsepower or something? It's 50 horsepower, 80 foot pounds of torque. Yeah. That perfect numbers for efficiency, for fuel efficiency, right? Um, well, efficiency at at some reasonable rate of speed. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's. I think the two wheel drive we would discover makes it over long distance, and especially if there's any weird rough terrain, it's. I I think it's for efficiency. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, what this what this parallels a lot is something we talked about recently which is the whole idea of doing a hybrid system with a front uh, hub motor. Yeah, you get a lot of those benefits here. And it's also, yeah, just kind of those adverse conditions, go anywhere, carry something critical like organs or blood and and get to where you need to go. Um, but yeah, this is just a really cool... Um, cool bike that's going in its own direction and has a particular utility in mind that nobody else is going for and it is it's expensive as hell it's twenty five thousand dollars but it's still in that attainable range um you know i mean essentially that's a base model goldwing yeah um yeah, I I think this bike is meant, it's highly specialized for a very slow and steady wins the race sort of thing, which uh, weirdly Goldwings kind of excel at as well, but only on highways, right? Right. This is for dense traffic. This is for off-road as well as the highway. This is... As as much as, as for anywhere a vehicle can go, a motorized vehicle can go, this one goes there and will go further than any others. Or, or you know, maybe not at like the highest rate of speed, but over the long run. Yeah, and I'm not aware of another bike that's necessarily designed to do that. Yeah, there's a lot of Dakar bikes with extended tanks and things, but they're not fuel efficient and they're racing. They're trying to get from point A to point B the fastest. It's, 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 you know, the, the Dakar is a very tour de France type of model of race. Yeah. It's hyper specialized and even getting remotely out of its lane is horrendous. Yeah. Um, do we know how flexible this is in terms of fuel? Oh, I mean, it, it's a diesel. So diesel just means kerosene, which is yeah. most fuels. I guess it's true. Yeah. And, uh, and like most, it can just run on like filtered vegetable oil and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But that's things that like pretty much all diesels can do. I mean, if they're not set up for it, it's not great. But yeah, like 
all the the standard flex fuel options i shouldn't say flex fuel because that's a very specific term but like all the different things that other diesel motors can run on this can run on okay so we we should talk more about the styling i said last week um it has a very I, I well it's not a very buell kind of look but buell is the closest thing i can come up with for how it looks it's it's somewhere in between uh like that um like a like an aprilia capinord and a buell ulysses yeah I, that makes a lot of sense and, and I, like I said, there's something very 90s uh, Buell uh, um, tube, frame. tube frame era about it as well, especially the panels at the back. This is obviously a bike that's going to look a lot better with full luggage attached to it. It's a little awkward looking without it, but, meh, you know, Um I, I like what you said about it. It's very stripped down nature. There's nothing to break. I even down to the point that it's it's got uh, separate headlights for high and low beam. Like you said, it's it's all it's all made. It all has a very sort of durable look and feel to it. Yeah. Well, there's that, and yeah, even the simplicity. Like if you look at the marketing photos for it, um. There, there isn't this super fancy TFT display built into the dash that you run everything, all these fancy electronics through. Like the in some of the marketing material, there's a picture of it, and it's got a separate, like a totally separate GPS unit and two-way radio just strapped to the handlebar. I'm surprised it doesn't have a CB radio that it comes with, I, except for the fact that that's just bulky, right? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess CB radios aren't bulky like they used to be, but yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, it's it's there. There's nothing. There's no fancy gadgets built into the bike that are integrated into it in a way that you know you'll have no way to fix like ten years from now. It's yeah. It's all just what you need. I imagine this being a vehicle that's owned by like some sort of rural police force in central Australia, right? It, or this would be good for maybe some sort of like European mountain police, like Swiss mountain police force or... um. Uh, who else would really be into this um or just somebody like somebody in like the northern tip of norway who lives outside of cell coverage yeah uh this would be good in alaska um like somebody said, who just... might not be in like radio range mm-hmm yeah, it's not so much like rugged terrain. I th I feel like this is made for remote areas and long distance. Uh, yeah. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere where emergency services are more than half an hour away, at least. 
Yeah, I mean, an 800cc triple only making 50 horsepower, I, like, you know this motor is just built to last. It's got to be, or else it's not worth the money, right? Right. That's got to be the feature, that this motor will just go and go and go, and then it'll go some more. Right. It'll be it'll be two hundred and fifty thousand miles before you even think about getting rid of this thing. That's yeah. Uh I I love the um the ridiculous L C D display because it it looks like it came out of like a TI eighty calculator. Yeah, it's that level. It's it's graphing it's graphing calculator level of basic. And, but what I love about it is they obviously just sourced some sort of cheap screen that was going to be um, you know, just very rugged above all else. And then there's just I mean, there's what for every for every um square inch of screen of which there's like four and a half <laughs> the, uh, the, there's what maybe like uh, three times as much just empty dash space oh a lot more there's like 10 times as much yeah it's very very basic there's this great big uh, or maybe two pieces of just big curved plastic just over the whole dash area with this little screen in the middle with very basic information. I mean, I'm sure it's got a fuel gauge. Uh, it's got to have a clock, right? It probably has a world clock. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it had a little like altimeter thing in it, but I mean, it, it does not, it's not sophisticated whatsoever. Um, you'd think like maybe it would come with its own built-in GPS, but I think the idea is that's something you can so easily rig it up with aftermarket that why even bother? And you're just going to use the one that you're more comfortable with and you know how to read. But it, I, if there was a premium version, it would have built-in GPS, but no sound system, right? I think that... I don't know. I'm very much still in the camp that, I mean, haven't we already figured this out with cars that, you know, like built in things like satellite radio and GPS is kind of a defect that Holy, none of us want anymore. I just noticed something. So you notice that two way radio thing mm -hmm. is screwed to the dashboard. Was that a satellite radio? A no. satellite phone? I just realized, no, the, the LCD screen is small on purpose because, look, I this whole time, I thought also that Garmin was on the handlebars. It's not. The, both those things are mounted flat to the dashboard. It's got a huge flat dashboard, so you can just put loads of shit on ram mounts that are not like crowding your handlebars but actually screwed to the dash oh and that's why it's also a kind of just cheap looking piece of plastic you're meant to drill into it ah 
right? It's just it's just empty. It's just blank real estate. I've never seen that in a car or motorcycle or anything ever before. Everyone else is always trying to figure out ways to get shit like mounted to your triple tree, mounted to your handlebars, mounted to your grips, mounted to your windshield. This this bike is just like, just use the dash. It's just open and flat and empty right there for you. Just put it right here in front of you where you want it to be. Do we you, need to do we it's need to build your own dash? Do we need to have this as like a new standard? Like shrink your instruments as much as possible and then just we can borrow from the gun people. Can we have like a key mod dash? Key mod. I don't know what you mean. It's like a rail system for like flashlights and sights and things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was about to say just have um like perforated areas like in the dash that are meant to have like, you know, little like pop rivet thing not pop rivets but you know those little plastic rivet things that like car doors are held together with something that's just meant it's like oh for like just have like for like 15 bucks you can order these little pops from honda in a bag and you can just use them to just pop things to your dashboard why not yeah well you could also just have like a little compartment in front that you could run like usb power to as well now immediately you're going to have somebody just put an ipad on their dash well for a lot of people that might make sense that's the whole that'd be the whole beauty of this is that you can make it whatever you want it to make whatever suits mm. your needs i like this i do too well it, it just it's so visually striking too as i realized that well, actually, most but we we say that bikes have a dash or a cockpit or something, but they really don't. There's just a bunch of empty space, which is basically taken up by whatever instrument someone's poked in there. This actually has a dashboard, whereas you know there's a big flat area in front of your steering mechanism, which is flat that holds instruments, like in a car. In a way that motorcycles don't usually have, I guess Goldwings do, but you know, I guess but, older Goldwings, yeah, with the um, even the new ones, but but you know, like on Harley's, you'd be like, well, maybe like Harley's have a dash. That's really more just like the back of the fairing, right? Like, this is a dash, and it's purposely flat so you can screw shit to it. I'm in love with it. Um, so yeah, like the world's most viable diesel motorcycles. People talk about how like there just aren't diesel motorcycles. I think it's because people don't really want to do what a diesel motorcycle is good for. Like mm -hmm. the idea is completely viable. Look at this. I mean, you would expect with how small batch this is. Honestly, I thought it was going to be more expensive than it is. I'd love to have one. It's it's kooky. It's weird looking. And like I said last week, this is the coolest gas station conversation ever. 
It's not like with the Vespas when people roll up and have the same four questions over and over and over again. It's not like when you show up on an exotic sport bike and people are like, how many horsepower? Like, how high does it rev? Like, what does it do? Is it expensive? Are these hard to maintenance? Or, or even like when you have a, um, uh, let's say you're riding a Vincent Black Shadow around. You're just, there's no way to ride something like that around without just hoping everyone knows what it is and they're just going to like ooh and ah. But everything that can be said or written about so many classic bikes has already been done. What are you going to add to the conversation? Whereas when it's this crazy diesel bike that has, you know, crazy range and it's super rugged and everything about it is streamlined for this certain kind of riding. There's things you can say about this conversations. Yeah. And people might even just walk up and go, well, this is weird looking. I've never seen something like this. And you can just go, it's diesel. Would you like to know more? And, and that's, that's the coolest motorcycle conversation to have. I think I, I would rather talk to some guy in a parking lot about this than an aerial square four. I would rather this than, than um, Jay Leno's jet bike or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Nice. Do we want to move on to worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is last week. I said V eight motorcycles. I'm going to say this week V eight motorcycles, but maybe even worse motorcycles with Dodge Viper engines. Yeah, <sighs> that's fair. <sighs> Now, Dr. Mike's going to be a little hurt because Dr. Mike was the most recent person to send me a picture of a motorcycle with a Dodge Viper engine in it. And because everyone knows I love motorcycles, this is something that happens to me at least four times a year. And uh, to Dr. Mike's credit, it didn't, this particular article did not have the headline that these pictures, articles, whatever usually have, which is V insert number motorcycle makes insert number horsepower and is going to turn the motorcycle industry upside down. No, it isn't. No, it is. No, it isn't. Uh, it isn't. These, these V8 motorcycles, whether they're, they're boss Haas, or whether they're just something someone just shoehorned a fucking Chevy 350 small block into, or a Dodge Viper engine, whether it's a sport bike, whether it's a standard, whether it's a cruiser, you'll notice you almost never see a picture of someone riding one of these bikes because they're unrideable. You have to bend yourself into some crazy, some crazy position. And if, and even if you do find a picture of someone riding one and you think it's not a real crazy, like try usually not turning. Yeah. Put that photo up against something else and, and, and and, yeah, see if you can find any video of someone doing some real slow parking lot maneuvers with these things gracefully, or do you see them just fucking duck footing it everywhere they fucking go? 
these bikes make power in a weird way that's not great for motorcycles. Um, and if you want a big engined multi-cylinder bike that makes an excess of horsepower that makes big torque and you just want to brag about all your pretty cylinders, the Goldwing already exists. Okay. Uh, whether it's the 1500, the, the 1800 or the new 1800 with the four valve heads that that's 1.8 liters six cylinder that's a fucking car engine but but it makes a hundred horsepower and a hundred foot pounds of torque which are perfect motorcycle numbers that is unusable power and excess of power but not so much power that you're losing reliability or efficiency it is a sweet spot and if you want a big fuck off bike but that's okay it's that or a harley big twin after that, it really stops making sense really fucking fast. Uh, there was the Vulcan 2000. Um, yeah, that, but yeah, that's still it's that, a short. List. That's not 5.2 liter V8. Yeah, that's two cylinders, two liter. No, I mean in terms of of big displacement bikes. Oh yeah, I love the I love the Vulcan numbers as well. I, but I still think the Vulcan was more like again close to a hundred horsepower. It's like a hundred and ten or something. It might yeah. have been one ten, which is a huge amount of peak horsepower for a cruiser like that. And its torque was just fucking off the charts, if I recall. It was like it was it wasn't it like a hundred and ten horsepower, but like a hundred and eighteen foot pounds of torque. It was something like that. It was a stupid number. It was great. I, I need a Vulcan 2000 in my life at some point. But anyway, but but that's still that's a stupid amount of power. But that's not like, OK, someone's like, oh, 400 horsepower, like Dodge Viper engine in a motorbike. Like, blah, 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 blah. it's just this bigger is better attitude. It's the kind of thing like like the dudes that love trikes because they're just bigger than motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. Well. I, yeah, I think there's also the other angle of like, you know, okay, ridiculous power is cool if you're drag racing on a motorcycle, but it doesn't really make any sense in terms of motorcycling as as a general hobby, as a mode of transportation, as anything competitive outside of drag racing. It's kind of dumb. And even these bikes aren't really built for drag racing either. So... But the people who kind of bring this up a lot, generally, this is something that I think you and I have noticed, is the kind of people who bring this sort of bike up a lot, in the worst way possible, are car magazines. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, 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 their quote is... Is like, well, here at Maxim Magazine, we don't, none of us in the office really ride motorcycles, but if we did, we'd have one of the, like, uh, they always start by disqualifying themselves from the, from the conversation. It's nobody with authority has ever said, uh, okay, here's, here's my other one that drives me insane about this. You'll be at a car show, a trade show, or just like a charity bike, a charity like poker run thing or something. Someone shows up with a V8 motorcycle. 
And if you just plant yourself near that motorcycle and just stare off into the distance, just sip your coffee, have a cigarette or whatever, if you wait 10 or 15 minutes, you'll hear this happen. Someone will walk up and be like, man, what is that? A Chevy? Is that a Ford? What, what is that V8? You know, they'll, they'll go, oh, what's a this and that? Blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, without being asked, they'll be like, yeah, makes like 480 horsepower. And the person who's walked up on the bike will go, can you use that? And then this political soundbite of a response comes out. <laughs> you can use it. Yeah. Oh, you can use it. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, give me one more sentence to explain how you can use. Give me one more sentence. Like just, oh, you can. <laughs> They're basically just going like, if you don't, if you're not with me on this idea that you can use it, I look like an idiot. So I'm going to stare you in the face and go, oh, you can use it. And you're just going to have to nod your head and agree. And everyone keeps living in this fantasy world. I, you can't you no it doesn't make any sense it look when moto gp bikes are making 300 horsepower your 400 horsepower v10 dodge viper motorcycle is no good the number it just in and of itself it doesn't make any sense like has that engine ever been asked to make that horsepower inside that motorcycle frame not on a dyno no no I, no, it doesn't make any fucking sense. The bikes, the weight is weird. The The bike's unwieldy. And also, this is really going to rub people the wrong way. Big multi-cylinder engines and motorcycles look stupid. They do. They do. Now, I know, like, okay, the old, like, Curtis eight-cylinder or whatever. Okay, that that's different. That was on the... That was, like, someone trying that out for, like, the very first fucking time, okay? If, if it's, like, no one's ever put this many cylinders in a motorcycle before, okay, you get a pass for that. Um... Now, now, not now. If someone wants to make a thirty-six cylinder motorcycle, no, that doesn't count because we already discovered that eight was dumb, right? So I would love to see, like, an eight hundred cc flat V ten or something silly like that, and not as like a production, but like as a one-off, just like as an actual like art piece. That just functions and will do a thousand miles in its life. I would love to see something like that. But the whole car motor in a motorcycle is not great. Well, I, but just the number of... Um, just like once you get above six cylinders, it gets so dumb so quickly. I like, And even six is questionable, right? Like, the CBX is not that great a motorcycle in and of itself. I mean, it's not bad, but it wasn't optimal. Like, Honda very quickly found better ways to do it, yeah. right? And, and Honda will never make another inline six because it just doesn't make a lot of sense, right? They would make a straight six before they did that. But anyway, the flat six They is, did make a straight six. When? 
or no, sorry, flat six. Yeah, no, uh, but the the. the I, when when again these bikes look stupid because the whole bike has to try to still look like a motorcycle but it has to compensate for the fact that where a lot of useful components traditionally were everything has to be shifted so there's no room for a gas tank because you've got this ridiculous engine and these huge air intakes coming out the sides, right? So the tank has to be impossibly wide. Just so wide. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, again, and, and like weirdly, like somehow the engine is adding top weight to the bike as well as lower weight. Doesn't make any sense. The the front wheels have to be super far out in front of you. So the wheelbase is ridiculously long. Uh, it, it affects steering geometry a lot because you've got to have these stupid, huge car sized radiators up and up behind the wheels, right? You've got to have just so many stupid things. It's, it's, it's almost like it's not a motorcycle anymore. And it's trying to be disguised. It's like you're trying to disguise a car as a motorcycle, you know, but it's just fucking, it's, it's just like a Hanna-Barbera or Looney Tunes fucking cartoon character, like trying to dress up as like, you know, it's like Bugs Bunny trying to dress up as a girl bunny. It's, it's a thin disguise. It's well, actually, a lot of them do kind of look like they would fit in in wacky races. Yeah, that's true as well. They always have a very unfinished, unrefined look about them, too. I'm like, you paid how much for this not visually clean thing? This very unrefined kind of just blah thing. You know, it's like it's like they always look like some total hack put it together. And then they then the only person with any skill involved was the guy that painted it. And whilst very skilled, also had no taste. Because these bikes all have flame paint jobs, right? Or they're all some sort of like 70s candy car color. All of them. They're all like, you know, plum crazy purple or whatever that yellow um, uh, uh, Chevy color was, or, or or like you know whatever they're all you know, candy apple red and and flamed out and sparkly paint and all that shit right, I I wouldn't be that surprised if some significant portion of these were like hey I'm old school man so I want you to like go back to putting fish scales in the paint or you know whatever nonsense is going on I I have no time for it it's it's not for serious motorcycle people but it gets serious attention from non-motorcycle people it's it's gross it's just gross it needs to, it doesn't need to stop, but I, but there shouldn't <laughs> be so much of it. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, the V10 motorcycle. Should we listen to another motocross song? Let's take a quick pause and we'll come back with a motocross song, I think. All right, let's do that. We don't. You don't- <laughs> 
Okay, so we got another dirt bike song here. You know, in the 90s, Nirvana was given all this credit for sort of popularizing, if not inventing, grunge. But I think it may have been more significant for the phenomenon of just the alternative category. I love this song. (laughs) So... We were talking about music, like, most like a music kind of split one way and the other. One was the DIY. So music like this was really big if um, extreme sports didn't have, like, a legitimate output for a long time. There was X Games and stuff like that. And so they had to kind of create their own industry. And if you remember, like, skate videos and... And stuff like that. There were there were a bunch of dirt ri- dirt bike dirt bike videos. So the biggest one was called um, I think Crusty Demons of Dirt, and I knew people that had some of these videos, and they were it was very run and gun filmmaking. They would just take like dirt bike dudes out to the desert. Uh, Travis Pastrana got his start in these videos. There's a great uh, documentary on YouTube about them, actually. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but um, they they were they were made like like the early Jackass stuff, like the early skate videos. Early skate videos, yeah. And they would have whatever music thrown into them, like this. And they were often frequently the cameraman was one of the athletes. Who wasn't riding at the time. Yes, exactly. And they would use unlicensed music a lot. And then as these videos got more popular, they would have to move to kind of getting music from like unsigned bands and things like that. When they got successful enough to be suable. Exactly. (laughs) And, And so again, that's all very DIY. That's all very in with what motocross is all about and just dirt bikes in general. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And this is sort of just one of those songs that, that makes sense. There's, there's different versions of this song, but it's kind of a classic in a way. Uh, But yeah, there was, there was in in the, in the early X games and stuff before, like sort of like the, the hip hop and whatever came into it. This was, a distinct era of sort of motocross music. It wasn't necessarily songs about riding dirt bikes, but there is weirdly a lot of them that are just super specific lyrics, just talking about riding dirt bikes. (laughs) It's really a fantastic thing. There's yeah, there's detailed descriptions of loading and unloading your bike. Um, and this song talks about whoops, tabletops, and triple jumps. Uh, I, I, the guy making four-stroke and two-stroke noises. Yeah, yeah, braps and and yeah, it's <laughs> so good. Um. <laughs> well, even in the in the last song we did, the guy like bragging about his recluse clutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get really specific. It's fantastic. I also love um, just. The song is about wanting to be a dirt bike rider, not being some world champion or some famous person. 
It's a much more modest goal. A very yeah, attainable goal. It really is. It really is. But yeah, well, there's this other thing about dirt bikes, which is you don't have to you don't have to be at the top of the sport to be living the dream. Yes. It's not important. Like it's it's awesome if you show up to the trail, the track, the whatever with a big flashy dually truck and a and a crazy trailer with your race number all on the side and you've got, you know, chairs and air conditioning and shit built into it and you've got all the flashiest gear. There is that but it's also cool just to be showing up with a sort of secondhand version of everything too. Like, yeah, it's nice to have all your stuff like pop and fresh and everything. And it's nice to be out there on the, uh, you know, on the quote, the big track and, and, and doing all your things. But it's also, it's also enough to have sort of a second rate version of everything. Yeah, it's more about doing. So it's it's so as an extension, you could have sort of B-rate entertainment as well. You could have homemade music that you're you're playing on your on your your Bluetooth speakers, you know, when you're sitting there under under the the canopy, you know, between rides and stuff. You can um you don't have to have a cool haircut. It's it's kind of like cool in these circles to just like at home by yourself, cut your hair into a mullet and you know, it looks stupid and that's fine. Right. It's, it's acceptable to be wearing hand-me-down stuff. Like there's, there's a very big acceptance of second rate things in this space because it's more about doing than being seen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. Like these are the, these are the kinds of things where like, um, um, like not everything has to be snakes on a plane. It can be snakes on a train for, for the <laughs> motocross community, right? You can have the knockoff of things, right? And plenty of people do for every brand of of motocross gear there is a knockoff brand that looks kind of close right you know at, at at 28 miles an hour it's hard to tell which one's which right you know what i'm saying yeah the, <laughs> there is definitely a knockoff of everything in this world so it makes sense that people kind of do their no knockoffs like i don't know all right let's move on uh should we talk moto gp uh yeah let's do it okay so we had our qatar round MotoGP has started there are results in they're not really indicative of anything because qatar never is but i had some some takeaways all right so first off we have to we have to clear the air no intro to the season this year there was no intro sequence we didn't get the riders all hanging out in their derelict gym having imaginary conversations with people who aren't there shooting imaginary bows and arrows or whatever it was they were doing i propose that we should given 
the Japanese presence in MotoGP. I know, yes, it's FIM and it's basically all Italian. I think that we should move like the starting round to Japan. And we should just let the Japanese do it, decide on it every year. It should be designed by somebody who doesn't speak English. And, you know, if one year it's just everyone has to, like, come up with a pose and a and a tagline and we just do it Takeshi Castle intro style, then... I would love a Takeshi Castle. Yeah. Um, so we can't just drop Takeshi's castle without explaining it because all of the American audience, well, some of the American audience is going to know it as most extreme challenge. Uh, that's true. Uh, it was still Takeshi's castle in the UK and who knows what it was called in Australia or other parts of the world. I, but this is that, that weird Japanese game show, which had two, uh, consistent features. There, there were probably about 12 games the contestants would have to play in all, but two that were, you could guarantee were in every episode. Um, one was this weird run that you had to do where you had to run through a series of doors that were just like colored paper. And you didn't know if behind a door there was either going to be a weird samurai monster or like a pit of slime, or it might be the right way through, but you just had to run at them full force to get through. I don't know what was compelling the com the contestants to run full force, but uh, I think there was a time limit. I think they had to complete it in a certain number yeah. of seconds or it was invalid. Yeah. But also the 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 way people got jazzed up for Takeshi's castle yeah. they they didn't really need much encouragement to run but this game would start with like 100 contestants and and then the last round of the game it would be whittled down to like 3 or 4 contestants and then they would have to get in like weird motorized cars with squirt guns on them they were yeah they're bumper cars with squirt guns on them and like a paper ring that you had to shoot out on uh, the other person's car yeah uh, and that's how you could storm the castle i feel like i watched 130 episodes of takeshi's castle and i saw them successfully storm the castle like twice yeah, it was super rare to take the castle. But yeah, I, the the what the show that everyone's watched is basically a redubbing of the show, which I think was shot in like the eighties, and um, maybe it's 80, also a show late that like eighties early nineties. It's yeah. a show that you really couldn't do today. Like the amount of like legal liability would be oh my outrageous. God. It'd be so worth it though. I. I <laughs> Anyway, I guess we should talk about Moto3. Um, I mean, I could keep talking about Takeshi's Castle. <laughs> I could do a whole episode on Takeshi's Castle. So, um, well, I want to say, like, if you, if you get if you missed your fix on really awkward, poorly judged, um, fake emotional intro sequences for MotoGP, 
don't worry, the Mooney VR46 team has you covered. There's a super awkward v- uh, uh, thing where um, Bezeki and Luca Marini and, um, oh my God, I forgot his name again, Rossi's buddy. Um, Uchio. Uchio. Uh, just walk around Tavulia trying to find, it's not Rossi, but somebody else. And they just like keep walking into like little stores and places around Tavulia trying to find people and having very awkwardly scripted conversations with just the townsfolk. And uh, eventually the person they're looking for calls them and he's like, oh, I'm at the bike launch. And then it's just like a hard cut to the team's bike launch. So technically this is something that happened like a month ago, but it's still up on the MotoGP website because I guess there just wasn't a lot of other like character introducing content. Yeah. I mean, you know, Rossi is kind of in his interactions. He's kind of a normal dude, which is why people are really, really like him. He's very relatable, but he's also in this sea of riders who like from the age of five have essentially been on this insane athletic training regimen and have mostly been homeschooled to accommodate that and haven't really existed in the real world since preschool. So when you take a bunch of those people and you try to get them to act, it doesn't work all that well. No, it's not going to. <laughs> no, it's not. I can see the problem. There. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved every second of it. I loved, I loved um, the the writers like just greasy Italian unmakeuped faces. Like I, I loved the the way that they were just like seemingly lit awkwardly to accentuate how greasy and uncamera ready they were. I loved the, the awkward timing on the dubs for what they were saying. I loved how their bad acting, um, transcended the language barrier. I loved the unnecessary costume changes that were happening during it, (laughs) where they got out of one set of Mooney VR 46 clothing to get into another set of VR 46 Mooney clothing, just to walk outside of the ranch. And I loved everything about it. The only thing that seemed to be done with care is they made sure you couldn't tell what kind of cell phone they were holding when they got called because someone didn't pay for that sponsorship. Obviously I loved how there was no real transition from, well, I guess the phone call was kind of a transition from their imaginary little play world into the bike launch, but it wasn't as great. It wasn't graceful. The whole thing was wonderful in a, in a really horrible way, but it, it's, um, it's kind of important because, I, and I, I, we didn't say this last week when we tried this episode the first time, but I, I, I know now why I especially wanted to bring it up. So, the the having this, although sort of trite and and small and amateurish, if MotoGP is going to lose a little bit of its fun and story, 
VR46 is sort of establishing, no, 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 we'll do that stuff. We will be the team you hope we're going to be. We're going to do weird, awkward shit like this. And it's going to be fun. And, you know, like maybe they don't have the, uh, they probably just thought to themselves, well, we've got to do something. Who's got an idea? And that was the idea that they had and they just went with it. But I love that they thought, well, we have to do something. Mm. And I think it's a good sign from from the team because I, well, we'll get into the results, which were good and bad mixed, like so, sort of hopeful, sort of whatever. But I think everyone's looking for this season and to this new VR46 Mooney team with Rossi at the helm, not you know, like, because I, you know, VR 46 existed last year, obviously, but not in the way it does this year where Rossi is just in charge. He's not writing, right? There's a new sponsor, which means there's a new set of, 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 of mandates and rules and expectations for the team. There's a different set of funding. They've probably swapped out some crew members and, and all that stuff, but now they're in GP and, they're in Moto two and, and, and all that it's, it's a new team. And so everyone's looking so, okay, we've like the doctor's not racing and there's something was so emotional about the fact that he was still there. Right. There's no other way to explain why he was there that long after he'd stopped winning or why people still said things that, well, you can't count the doctor out, even though he wasn't going to win anymore. Right. So, everyone's kind of hoping that this team will sort of carry on that emotional aspect of GP for them. And, and they are in a very amateurish, awkward way, but you just have to understand this is a whole sport where everyone's speaking their second language. Like it's going to be clunky and awkward and, and that's fine. Um, I'm a little disappointed that GP itself didn't have an intro. Like we know they didn't last year or the year before, but that's just because we thought, well, it's, it's COVID and stuff. Shit's weird, but they don't really have much excuse to not be doing it this year. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So we've talked a lot about GP without mentioning the actual racing. So (laughs) get us, get us on that swigs. Okay. So let's start up with Moto3. Um, I have some very mixed feelings about Moto3 this year. And I guess kind of looking at the grid here, it feels like in Moto3, there are some new riders in here, but not a lot. And I was looking through the grid and of all the people we've got left who were in before, you know, we've got Mino, we've got Garcia, Toba, Anju, uh, McPhee, Fadja. Like if you look at the people who came kind of in the top eight or so, like the average tenure is like five to seven years. Like, people like most of the people you expect to move up to moto 2 it's usually two or three seasons sometimes four five is kind of a stretch because it's a it's a it's a it's not really a junior league but it's 
you're expecting it to be a pipeline into the bigger classes. We're looking at a bunch of careers with a failure to launch. Yes. There it's the yeah, in in, in the motorcycle racing world. I mean, they're in Moto 3, so they're their success stories. But in the MotoGP world, these are 24-year-olds living in their mother's basement. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Because this is what you would normally expect to just happen in Moto2. There'd be a lot of journeymen who would make it to Moto2. And they'd be good enough to get results, but then they'd just kind of stagnate there. Well, yeah, I mean, only an an elite group of the elite of the elite of the elite get to GP, and then only the elite of the elite of the elite have wins with any kind of regularity. Right. And there would be a bunch of people in Moto2, you know, cock-blocking the rookies on their their way up to MotoGP, which, you know, it should be hard to get up to MotoGP. Um, But now that's kind of descended down into Moto3. And it's getting a little ridiculous. I I don't know like what situations the teams are in where they're not looking for these new young talents to move up through. Because there's plenty of teams like KTM and and uh, and Leopard who have Moto Two teams who are kind of looking to establish that pipeline, but they're all starting to get clogged clogged up with all these guys who have been here a little too long. And well, they've got enough experience that they're going to be better than the rookies, but they don't have enough raw talent that they're going to be winning a lot of championships and moving up. Right. And you know, whatever you think, if you even if you think like, I don't know who thinks like this is good to watch because I don't know how many people look at Moto3 as a specialty as opposed to a junior a junior competition where you expect everyone to get promoted. So it's, I'm, I'm more interested in the rookies this year, regardless of who wins. If, you know, if Garcia and Mino just start trading wins throughout the season and somebody gets like a string of five wins in a row, I'm not really going to be all that excited about it. Moto three is, is just something that you just have to kind of hope happens well. It's it's um it's like waiting for um where is it that it happens? I think it's in like Louisiana. They call it like a jubilee when like you get a special kind of tide with just like a crazy amount of fish that come up into the shallow water and you can just like catch a shit ton of stuff in like 10 minutes, you know, it's, you just like have to wait around and when the conditions are just naturally perfect, Moto three will be amazing. And otherwise it's whatever it's chaos because yeah, there's, there's rookies every year cause it's the most junior class. There's people promoted every year because that's what it is. There's um, there's people that hang around too long because they're just not they're just never going to get to Moto Two, so there's like tragedy stories. But then you've got your um, uh, like last year, what was his name? Um, You'll get there. Oh my gosh, it doesn't matter. Um, 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 uh, 
Pedro Acosta and, and, you know, and, and Quadrar before him. You've got your, your little phenoms in there. It's all over the place, right? But I've been watching MotoGP long enough that I have seen the GP class have less talent than it should. I've seen Moto2 have less talent than it should. And I've seen now you know, Moto3 have less talent than it should. And it's just a cycle. At any given moment, just because the way you've got riders moving through and the way riders move through has an impact on how the other classes promote their talent as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, is competition fierce or is there a Marquez type rider right now? Like one unbeatable person are, are the, the factory teams strong, but the satellite teams are weak are, you know, are the, the factory teams a little bit off their game, but everyone who's got last year's bikes on a little bit more stable footing, all these things affect how people make decisions to bring riders up. Yeah. And then it also is like, well, do we just need a bunch of people who are riding stable? Are we just burning through people to try to find that next Marquez type talent? And and so the result is it's not a hard and fast rule, but more often than not, you can really only have two classes that are that are on fire and really compelling for each year. Sometimes that's Moto3 and Moto2. Sometimes that's GP and Moto2. Sometimes it's GP and Moto3, right? And I've seen all phases of it now cycle through. And so I'm not concerned about Moto3. It's just, ah, we've just got to pay attention and keep watching until it's on fire again. Like, let's face it, last year was only interesting because of Pedro Acosta and then the late charge from, um, what's his face? Um, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Um, out, outside of them, the rest of it was kind of a snooze fest, right? It was just, what's this little drama story here? Like, thank God we've got this because we can't remember half these people's names because they've either been around so long and they're irrelevant or they're brand new. And, you know, whereas, you know, we, we've talked last year, the year before that, and this year again about how stacked Moto2 is. And GP's kind of getting stacked as well right now with a lot of talent. It's It's super competitive in both of those, super interesting. Like almost everyone's a race winner and a heavy hitter, right? Mm-hmm. I it used to be that there were four to five people that could win in GP, and now almost everyone on the grid has a championship or like multiple GP wins to themselves already, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who? I mean, yeah, there's we've got like thirty percent rookies in GP, but outside of those rookies. How many, like pretty much all the rest of the riders have a GP win to their name. That's nuts. Yeah, even in just a couple of years, I want to say like the average age in GP has dropped like four years. Like it's come way down. Which is good. But also there we're seeing, uh, you know, like we're not even remarking that much about um, uh, satellite bike um wins and um and podiums anymore 
Like all the bikes are competitive. All the riders are competitive. So I'm not super shocked that Moto three is a bit of a snooze fest. Like we can't have the best of all worlds all the time. Eventually the, the it's going to get scraped of all its talent. And it's just, and it, the class has to kind of rebuild itself and its image and its reputation. And we're just in a low period for it right now, but that's okay because it's cyclical. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel there were a whole lot of takeaways from this race because it's Moto3. It's a weird grid of old timers who have all been there for like five years. And it's Qatar. It's a weird track with weird temperatures, weird conditions, weird culture, weird everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's even really worth going into any of the rookies right now because we'll just have to see which ones kind of rise up over time yeah i agree um i guess the only interesting thing was um uh yumu sasaki like pulling way ahead and then like he he spun out the rear a little bit and managed to pop some of the the fasteners on his fairing which just started catching wind. Well, he was it. Was that Moto three where he saved it, Marquez style? Was that in Moto two where someone saved it with their knee? Uh, he didn't save it with his knee, but he basically just unsettled the bike, and when it snapped back up, his fairing came loose. Yeah, and he just he was just losing seconds every lap, and there was nothing he could do. But he was riding with a sail, and he just couldn't. Yeah. That was sad because he was doing so well and everyone was kind of like, oh, it's his time. It's finally his day. And then it wasn't. Mm. It was sad, but whatever. You're going to have that. It's Moto3. It's unpredictable to some degree. Uh, So Moto2. um, So a lot of expectations for Pedro Acosta from most people. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for him going into this because one, it just, you know, new team, new bike, new class, a lot of new stuff. It takes on everyone has to adjust. We've seen people come out of the gate in GP and be a hot success. We've seen people come out of the gate in Moto3 and be a hot success. I've never seen it happen in Moto2 personally, or at least if I have, I don't remember it. Well, I'll give you the perfect example that highlights this. Danny Kent. Yeah. Wins Moto 3, gets promoted to Moto 2, absolute dumpster fire, drops back down to Moto 3, still a dumpster fire, out of Moto GP. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's a, it's a tale old as time. Uh, it's Moto 2 is a brutal class. Um, so I, I, but you know, he started real far back. Was he in like twenty third or something like that? Uh, I can't remember where he started, but like he ultimately, make up a lot of places. He he got screwed in um in the first turn, and he basically left turn one in twenty fourth place. Right, and he did claw it back up to twelfth, which yeah, that's in Moto- not nothing. Yeah, which in Moto two is. Kind of the same as going from the back of the grid to the top three. You don't have all the same slipstreaming ability 
of the same impact from slipstreaming to do that in the pack. Right. So it it does demonstrate, and a lot of people were saying that um, during qualifying, you know, essentially if you were just like a tenth off the pace in free practice, then you just dropped right down to Q2. And then you were just screwed for qualifying times. Apparently it was very competitive through all the practices. And of course it's his first time on the bike besides the testing. So I think this is probably an encouraging sign and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I'm not, but again, again, Qatar isn't real. Qatar isn't real for starters. And also he was fading at the end of last year. Um, now, riders have periods where they're hot and cold. That, that's racing. You can't be hot all the time. That's just, that's never been true for racing. And, I, well, I mean, it was kind of true for Rossi for a little while. It was kind of true for, like, Michael Schumacher for a while. But, I mean, 99% of the time, you can't be hot for, like, very long. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I I would say that... Moto two is still like got some big talent pulled from it last year or this year, you know, from last year to this year, but there's still a ton of big names in there. Um, so the, the big name from this race and someone that we're kind of, ex- um, well, okay. So we've got to talk about Kinnett. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about Sam Lowe's as well. So Sam Lowe's is relevant, but not relevant. I don't think Sam Lowe's is going to be competitive this year. Like Sam was kind of in it for about the first third of the season last year and then kind of trailed off, but he was in it with like a podium or a win just up there fighting at the front for a while. I don't think we're going to really see a run like that from him again. I just don't have that feeling from him. Also, it's not really consequential if he does win because, you know, it's like the kid who get, who got held back for two years in a row. And now he's crushing it in the sixth grade dodgeball competition Good for you, okay? Like, you've been around for a while. <laughs> well, you he has have, been around for a while, but... Uh, I, but I think, you're not getting promoted to... There's no universe in which Sam Lowe's goes up to GP, no matter True. If, uh, he might do a couple, like, um, wild cards or something, but that that would be the extent of it, right? Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's it's not a bad thing to ride out the rest of your career in Moto Two. It's so much it's higher not, yeah. than most people get. But again, well, I guess he also has the. It's no fun to talk in universal terms like that. We just have to talk in terms of GP. Like he's he's lame duck in a way. Well, I mean, I honestly wouldn't care that much, except that, much like with McPhee, the casters cannot stop talking about it right but uh i i think he does have a useful purpose in this world in that he's the new tom luthi he is 
the 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 fastest of the slowest or the slowest of the fastest, whatever way you want to put it, he is the gatekeeper to being relevant in Moto Two. If you're ahead of Sam Lowe's, you're relevant. If you're behind Sam Lowe's, you're irrelevant. Yeah, he is the bar now, which you know makes him not a threat, but it doesn't make him nothing either. Like we we might see a couple wins a season, you know, and, and that's you know, and and that's still something to remark about. That's still a career. That's still you know you're still getting eyeballs on a sponsor. You're still you know you're still hammering checks, right? You're mm-hmm. fine. You, but you're just fine. You're not exceptional. And, and, you know, and racing's brutal that way, but that's the reality of it. He, but he is Tom Luthie. He is the gatekeeper of success. So he's going to be useful that way. And as a result, we're just going to hear a lot about him. We're g- Every time someone passes him, we're going to hear it. No one's going to be able to pass him quietly in seventh place. It's going to be like, oh, someone just passed Sam Lowe's to get into sixth place. We're going to hear that, you know, or ninth place to eighth place, whatever it is. We're going to hear it every single time. Just prepare yourself for for doubling down on the Sam Lowe's talk. Because Is this a viable marketing strategy? Like, don't go for the win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just look to pass and get passed by Sam Lowe's as much as possible. Get third or fourth place in every championship for six years straight. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just mean physically being in close proximity to Sam Lowe's for the camera time. Oh, right. Right. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, so, I... We were talking earlier this week. We both like Aaron Kinnett because I he's, think he's aggressive and crazy enough to win. At some point, someone more refined than him will start kicking his ass every day. But I, I again, you, Qatar you could, is not relevant for anything, but I have a good feeling about Kinnett this year in Moto2. Well, you, you compared him a little bit to Darren Bender. Yeah. I think he's more like a little bit of a subdued Ianone. Yeah. Where there are times when he's riding and when he's really pushing, he is clearly on the absolute limits of his control. Yeah. Where you think just one hair out of place and this ends up in the gravel trap. And you can just see it in his riding going into turns like totally unsettled and it it's especially it's nail biting if he's riding around somebody that you like where you're like oh my god Kinnett's gonna take him out it's gonna happen and it's happened several times but occasionally he does it and he and he just pulls it all together and he's done that a few times as well um yeah he'll definitely be one to look out for this year in the class Here's a question. Do you think we'll get an Iogura win this year? Um, in this grid, I think it's it's definitely in the cards. Because he's been ratcheting it up and like getting closer and closer to threatening to 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 win races over time in just the slowest 
progress year by year that's ever been documented. And it's not like we need him to be a superstar, but God damn it. Like Japan just needs a couple more wins. Yeah. Right. Well, like as badly as America does, Japan really needs some fucking wins. I mean, I do, everyone who I see like in the top 10 is about where I would expect the top 10 to be. And the only people I really see taking like being really competitive are the people who are already ahead of him in the results. You know, Arbolino, Fernandez, uh, Lowe's, Canet, Vietti. I mean, you might be able to talk about Acosta later on and Navarro's okay, but like these people, these writers all have off days. They have like off um, half seasons. Yeah. Nobody here is smooth and consistent all season long. So I it very easily could all come together for him for a win. I don't see anyone consistently on the podium this year. Yeah, we're not going to have a season last year like we did with Raul and, um, and um, oh my gosh, our, our Gardner. Stra- Gardner. Yeah, we're not going to have one of those. In, but that's fine. I, I like a competitive grid. You know, I do. I'll put them down for one win this year. One win? I like that. I like the odds on that too. One pull, one win. Okay. So, yeah, Kanet's our favorite thus far, not just because he won this race, but... He didn't win this race. Vietti won this race. Oh, you're right. But he was... <laughs> he he almost did, though, didn't he? Uh, no. No? Why he was six I... seconds behind. Was he that far behind? Yeah. Who am I confusing him with, then? Not Vietti, but there was someone else on the... And whatever. Fernandez matter. and Lowe's were, hmm. like, seven hundredths apart. Maybe. Um, I, don't know. I was pretty drunk too, and it was almost a week ago. It doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> GP. I. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. So, um, yeah, we had Paul Spargro lead for what, like twenty laps, quite a ways. Um, we had Marquez a few spots behind him. And then with like five laps to go, they both started fading. It was a bad tire choice for them. But uh, I, I, I said last year, you could just feel the whole world just disappointed that Polis Bargro was leading. Just no one was excited about it. But it wasn't just the fact that it's Qatar and it's a bunch of empty seats. Right. It wasn't just that. I could just feel an energy coming off of the planet itself that nobody cared that he was leading. And if anything, people were kind of hoping he would just fall off the damn bike. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, at the same time, we had this heroic charge from Bastianini who just fucking crushed it on another bike that shouldn't be winning and all that stuff and keeping his momentum from the end of last season into this season and just a great win that just made everybody happy. Well, Uh, it's definitely, it's super interesting as well because, you know, he did kind of pull it together quite a bit at the end of last year, but now it's, 
Grassini um, dropping the Aprilia and going with the Ducati. Yeah. So, you know, Grassini, who did they have a single win last year? Um, has Grassini won a race in GP? I don't think so. Yeah. So they they yeah they got their first win on the opening round. You know, an Italian bike, Italian team, Italian rider, all kind of pulling it together on a saddle as a satellite operation. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, good for them. Um, that so so they had that. Uh, did did uh, Aleish make it to third place on the Aprilia? I can't remember. Fourth. Fourth. Oh, it was close. And did uh, Paul stayed on for third place, right? Yeah, he got the third. Um, and who was second place again? It was something else. It was Brad another... Bender. That's it, Brad Bender's KT. So let's so... keep in mind we've got um, Repsol getting a podium, which is kind of odd in this modern in the last few years. Yeah, that. <laughs> kind of weird it's been dark days for repsol honda and then besides that we've got a ktm and a satellite ducati uh then in fourth place you think oh we're gonna see a yamaha or suzuki it's like uh nope actually an aprilia the weird thing is that we're not more shocked I know we've right. had plenty of time to get used to the idea that the Aprilia can podium and we shouldn't be too shocked if it even wins at some point. Uh, it's so now it's not a shit bike, I, but so it's now still weird that it's not weird. Now, historically, Yamahas and Ducatis do pretty well at this track, but we have to go, you know, after um, the Grassini, we have to go down to eighth. To get Johan Zarco on the Pramac. And then uh, the first factory Yamaha is ninth place with Quattararo. Where did Vinales end up? Uh, He ended up 12th. That's better than I expected. But he should be doing better. I mean, Aleish knows that bike, but he had like what at like half of last season plus all of testing to get used to this bike. Again, we have to remind ourselves that Qatar is not real. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's they shot it in this. They're shooting it in the same place they shot the moon landings. It's right. all just a stage. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> well, like I, I've said it many times, Qatar isn't the first race. Qatar is the last test. Yeah. Because it's really the first time they're getting all these new bikes into race conditions. So in a way, it's it's really just the last test. But there you go. It, yeah, it's not it's not indicative of much. But uh, still, it's not like there aren't things for takeaways, right? Like um, Bashaniti isn't just a flash in the pan. We saw this kind of stuff coming from him at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And he's just continuing it. Um, we've got, we, we've got to talk about how Marquez is never going to be the old Marquez again. Like I, I, 
during the pre-race commentary, they must have said Marquez is back at full strength like 23 times. And they said it's they said it enough times I was like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Why why would you need to say it that much? Why are you trying to get me excited about Mark Marquez when it's like Mark Marquez hasn't been a threat for two and a half years. And I'm still watching, okay? Mark Marquez is not keeping eyeballs on MotoGP anymore. He's not. I don't know. Again, still Qatar. I will tell you what I think in a few more weeks. I I think he will win races this year. I don't think he's going to be irrelevant, but he's. I don't think he's going to dominate a season ever again. If he wins another championship, it'll be by the skin of his teeth. It's possible. It's not impossible, but I don't think he'll ever be Marquez again. I think he's going to be a good rider. I think he's going to be a strong rider for, for some more years. I don't think he'll ever be the way he was in like, you know, 20, you know, 14 to, to 2018. I, I just don't think so. I don't know. You were pretty hot on Rossi when he was still like another 10 years older than Marquez is now. I It's not age. It's not age. It's, um, you know, I, it, it, you can't. Th- there's a mental aspect to it. There's a physical aspect to it. There's, but there's just like a, uh, people just like, sometimes people at the peak of their fitness just lose their edge. Sometimes it's intimidation from younger riders. Sometimes it's all in your head. Sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's just like people's personal lives, but it's so stressful and so difficult to stay on top. And sometimes people just lose their edge for who knows why. And it happens all the time. Most writers can only manage it for like a third of a season. And then they're just never relevant again. Uh, Reference Maverick Vinales on that one. Right? That's true. At some point, people just fall off for, for who knows why. And I think the, I think his, his injuries in, in, um, in, in 2020, like really, just just brought that on i i think he's just for whatever reason just not as much a threat as he was going to be he lost a lot of riding time he spent a lot of time recovering but there's got to be some mental edge in there and again there's just the x factor just you know it uh i think marquez has had disaster seasons in the past and has bounced back i'm not willing to call it right now look one thing is guaranteed. I mean, is he that did every rider. He did finish in front of every factory bike except for the other Repsol Honda. That's true. It, I, but what I'm talking about isn't isn't like the reality of his results. I'm talking about the expectations of his results. I'm talking about the myth. That is Mark Marquez. I'm talking about the way the commentators reference him as this. 
Well, I mean, he is a mythical figure in MotoGP, just not like anymore. Yeah, I'm. I yeah, but I don't really care what the commentators think. That that's part of the 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 branding exercise. It, which is also not real. Well, okay, whatever. Not real. Um. So we had, let's see, Dovi riding for satellite Yamaha. Again, not really anything super exciting there. Um, but nice to see Dovi out there again. Again, like not going to be a serious championship contender, but I bet I, I see Dovi moving into a very Cal Crutchlow sort of role. Not as entertaining off the track for sure, but you know, he's there for a couple wins a season. You know, he'll just randomly win a rain race and he'll randomly win a dry hot race. And then he'll go back to doing nothing for six more rounds. And, you know, he'll just kind of be around there kind of pokey. Well, yeah, well, and and really he's just kind of, he's on cruise control at this point. He'll be somewhat competitive every now and then, but He's kind of just, you know, showing up to the office at this point. Now, with that in mind, what is his ridiculous personal sponsor this year? Does he have one? Or does he need one? I, I bet he doesn't. I, he, he doesn't have the star power that he used to. He took a whole year off, for starters. There's that. and but 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 everyone always had, like, some sort of, like, really sketchy electric scooter... Or e-bike, or yeah. everyone had some sort of weird personal sponsor. Yeah, Quadraro's got those sunglasses, those ridiculous fucking sunglasses. Yeah, Ian Oni had a fucking like <laughs> jizz-themed cologne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rossi has anything that you can put a, a forty-six logo on. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. We'll, we'll notice at some point. Uh, Marquez is just a walking brand. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to talk more about Polis Bargro and how Polis Bargro needs to embrace how much everyone hates him. Honda will never allow this, so Honda's the wrong team for Polis Bargro. Like he just doesn't look right in the leathers. You know what I mean? Uh, he needs to be riding for a team that just doesn't give a shit. Like it's just like, hey, you know, a, a team whose philosophy is there's no such thing as bad pub- publicity. Like, um, I'd like to see Polis Bargro go to back to like moto three and ride for that Husqvarna team that took, um, what's his face in Romano Fanati and just be like, just do your bad attitude thing. Just go for it. Right. Uh, he uh, needs a team that is sponsored entirely by like online gambling, NFTs and vapes. Yeah, that's good. That's strong. I'd like to see some real fake news stuff where they they pay a woman to to for him to like you know like like 
shove out of the way to to get onto a train or something like that and like someone you know catches it on their phone i'd like to see some stunts like that i'd like some more trash talk but honda is so controlling with the trash talk but you know that there's trash talk just coming out of his mouth non-stop inside the garage it's just honda controls it and they won't let his personality come out but we just need a straight up like MotoGP Darth Vader and uh Lorenzo wasn't self-aware enough to 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 do it, right? He was just just a straight up madman it turned out. <laughs> right? He was just like just genuinely just unstable and crazy. Whereas I feel like Paul Spargro is a real honest to goodness dickhead. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and if we could only harness that power, it could be so great. You know, yeah. like I, like like uh, Max Biaggi has gotten a lot more more personable in his later years, but I feel like at the height of his powers, Max Biaggi was just a real, just out there in the open, honest dickhead. And and I think Polis Bargro could pull off the same thing, and and people used to love Max Biaggi for being such a douchebag. They loved him for it. He was dating supermodels, talking trash, partying on the weekends, just doing all the shit that motorcycle racers should do. I, you know, I want to get like shots of Polis Bargro hanging out at super exclusive douchey nightclubs. Right, I want to see some like rayon reflective pink shirts, uh, you know, like Will Smith Miami style. Oh, like so I want to see him wearing some white jeans, you know, real douchebag stuff. But I don't think it's going to happen because no one is going to give up a, a Honda Repsol seat, no matter how bad the team sucks, and Honda controls the image too tightly. But what could be? You know? Yeah. Uh, White jeans. So good job, Brad Bender. Second was nice. <laughs> <laughs> good start to the season. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where we stand. Again, Qatar is not real. Let's see what happens uh, a week from now. And... I think that that's probably a good a good starting point. Yeah. It's probably going to end to the episode, too. We were going to do emails, but we can just leave those till next week because I think, well, you dug up like four. I think we have like eight emails to do. And I know there's a couple in my inbox. There's a couple in the shared inbox. And when was the last time we, we checked Swiggy at NokomotoPodcast.com? Has it been like two years? Probably like June. Yeah, like <laughs> I bet there's a bunch of emails in there too. There's a couple things on the Patreon. Um, this is what happens when you lose the SD card and we end up talking about the same thing twice. Yeah. We just kind of keep going. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, we're at like an hour and 40 something minutes. We're not doing too bad on this for, for time, but let's let's just save save more content for last time. We also had, you know, wait, you know what we need to do? We need to end with another motocross song. That's true. Let's do that. Hold on. This one is one of our personal favorites.
This is one of the best examples of that. <laughs> like you said, it's so positive, but this is a great example of how all this this garage band homemade uh, motocross rap it's it's all made with like, like there's only 27 different sound clips and drum samples that these are all made out of yeah this is this is what you might do like at a booth in the mall in the 90s like, yeah 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 this is very much yeah the the music video booth kind of level yeah but it's wonderful it is I mean, they talk about how they're getting, like, straight A's and, like, earning gas money. These guys are talking. (laughs) I feel like there must have been a version of this that was a little less positive, but the lyrics had to be, like, parent-approved. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I have seen multiple YouTube videos where people set this like as the background music for for their GoPro footage of them riding around whatever track. I mean, if I was going to be putting out GoPro footage, I know I would put this as the background Why music. You? Why wouldn't you? I, so the, what we have we 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 mentioned it, but you know we were talking about the DIY nature of everything, but the the YouTube nature, right? So if you notice, like, there's, like, a, a weird bassiness to this music. But if you think about, like, the way, like, the sound is sort of mixed up and everything, it is, like, sort of optimized for listening to on, a, on computer speakers. Or on a phone. Or on a phone or whatever. That's, that's the venue for this, right? When we're talking about that hard left and hard right turn, this music went left, whereas the, the other music we'll talk about next week or the week after, which is sort of, you know, what sounds good on your motorcycle sound system. Yeah. Whereas this is more about your phone. Yeah. So, yeah, like, not, I don't think any of what we have played so far has ever, ever passed through the speakers of a hi-fi system. Yeah, no no way. Never. Nothing of any quality. A, a, a couple pairs of like lower tier Beats headphones. Yeah, but that's that's about as fancy as it gets. But usually just like TV mono speakers or laptop speakers or a phone, maybe a set of headphones every once in a while, but it's it but it's also mixed for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it weirdly sounds the best. It wasn't, you know, like like really like music that's mixed really really well kind of sounds decent on anything you play it on. Uh obviously in some places like there's ways that it's just meant to be heard, but things that, but it's it's a and it's a real trick to to do that with sound too. It's it's harder than you might think. But uh, and um in the pursuit of it, things are just compressed ridiculous amounts and leveled off and auto-tuned and and just the whole process has been mechanized so much. And 
one of the big things that annoys me about that is just maxing out the volume on everything. I I don't know what happened to to recordings that have volume dynamics in them. Just everything's super loud all the time. Well, if there isn't enough bass on the track, you just up the bass on the equalizer. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... God, the equalizer is one of the worst things to happen to music. Uh, but anyway, so... So yeah, this is a great another great example of like the super super like super DIY stuff, and I, it has such a charm. There is a shocking amount of kids that make this content, and I love it. I like dirt biking just continues to be such a young man's game in a world where it's it's still a bunch of like just old dudes with Harleys. You know, going like, yeah, Steppenwolf, yeah, Bo Sevis, you know, and a, and a whole bunch of just fucking very, I don't know what the word is, just like stale old mannishness around motorcycles sometimes. Not all the time, but like every once in a while, you know, I just kind of get a feeling of ugh, just more old dudes. Not, not, you know, all that, even the majority of the time, but, you know, it's so nice that dirt biking endures and like moves with the culture somewhat. I mean, it's its own distinct thing. It's never going to be mainstream, but because it's never been mainstream, it gets to exist on its own and move at its own speed and always honestly be what it is where like right now, there's a lot of people trying to live out a motorcycle dream that's from decades ago. Right. Whether you're a hipster with your fake vintage bike or you're just a 70-year-old dude that wishes it was still 1972 or or I don't know, some dude that's sport bike rider who thinks we're still in the speed wars. Yeah, or just some dude who's like never left California, but feels he has a real deep, true connection with the Isle of Man TT. The other people just don't understand. He gets it, man, but he's never fucking been there. You know, there's so many examples of people trying to live out a different time and place, which is fine. Motorcycles are a great venue to sort of live outside of yourself for a while. But this, this whole... If if I if I take away one thing from this this motocross music, it's just it reminds me how you you can't put um like dirt bikes in a box. It's just always going to be some kids raising hell. Yeah, and that's just refreshing to 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 know that like okay, that they're still motorcycles still have some genuine hell raising. And it's not it's not trying to live out something else. It's its yeah. own thing. They're they're making their own weird music. They're putting up their own videos. They've got their own culture. They've got their own new slang. They've got their own their whole new like, you know, visual language to things. Like there's they're always like wearing their gear different ways. One year it's like, oh, you gotta put the armor over your jersey. Nope, it's under it's it's 
it's you know it's over this year like oh it's you know this this brand is cool this year like oh it's it's cool to to i don't know have your fucking gloves like not velcroed up this year like it's all it's always weird and there's no there's no rhyme or reason it just is what it is yeah it's you know it's let the kids skate let the kids skate exactly that's perfect yeah all right cool let's uh do the outro and I, you know, there were a bunch of announcements I made last week. I'm just going to save it all for the beginning of next week. Just try to remind me, Swigs. I've got like a bunch of announcements to make at the top of next week's episode. All right, here we go. Let's do the outro. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm, cold. 